Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. It's recording. <laughs> you promised this would be ten minutes. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, this will be a short podcast. We'll see how short it can go. It wasn't a promise. It was an estimate. Yes. There, there you go. Yes, that's right. I'd never promised anything. <laughs> <clears throat> we just watched uh, a film, and while and it's I mean it's Saturday. No wait, it's Friday. It is okay. Never mind. You're all, wishing it was all Saturday. the all the days are blending together. Um, and uh, this thing came up, and today, Friday, uh, this new movie came out, Climate Change, The Facts, with Sir David Attenborough. And the, the information that I saw said that it included information on what you can do at home to right. make a difference. Right. And I thought, I'm on it. This is this is totally what my book is all about. Right. And so I I jumped on, and I watched it. And so Jocelyn joined me for the part where it's like, here's what you can do at home, and she took careful notes. Okay, let's go. Let's. What are the things that you could do at home? You know, this ought to be good. I mean, as the as my book, is there more stuff we need to add? What? You know. All right. Um, of course, the first. 80% of the movie is about the problems. Yes. And then and then they spend about I don't know, I want to say 5% of the movie talking about what you can do and then they recap the problems. <laughs> <laughs> right. I came in where you said, "Oh, they're going to get to the solutions." And I said, "Wait a minute, are these the solutions? Where are they?" Yeah. Uh I did like one thing they mentioned, which was not the key solutions, but they said, I like the one scientist who said, we have the technology to take excess carbon um, out, or CO2 out of the atmosphere. It's trees. I did yeah, like that. Yeah, that was, that was good. We that have was the technology. Yeah, we have the technology. It's trees. Yeah, that was, that was brilliant. That yeah. was brilliant. And that was not, you know, they didn't even, as they were talking to every man, you know, as David At- Attenborough is looking at the camera, you know, looking out at the audience, talking to the every man, they didn't say plant trees. That was just part of the scientists trying to figure out the big solutions for everybody. This was not the everyman solution. It was that was interesting. Yeah. Now there there was an interesting thing too. It was, it was apparently presented to the people of Britain, and the average carbon footprint in Britain is 13 tons. In the United States, and it's 13 tons per person. Right. In the United States, it's 30 tons per person. That's per year, right? Per year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I kind of feel like um, in Britain, just by doing nothing, they're way ahead of the game 
for the people in the United States. Yeah, and and that's where your urban permaculturalists might chime in and say, well, they live more densely. There's a lower carbon footprint from living living more densely. I I think that there is something to be said there, and at the same time, I I think I I would like to sit down and run some spreadsheets. Yeah. And I I suspect that if you are able to grow your own food, that you're able to do a lot more at decreasing. Now, of course, food is only 35% of your carbon footprint. Um, you know, but then there's petroleum footprint, and there's toxic footprint, and there's a button, and there's how much garbage is going out of the ocean, and there's all these other things. But um, but but still, I. I want, and that's what my book does. And it's like this whole time, I'm watch, it's like I kept wanting to say, like, I wish these people would read my book. I wish they would read my book. I wish they would read my book. Mm-hmm. And then after the whole thing got done, I'm just kind of like, all those people were blustering. I'm not sure how many of them actually made any difference whatsoever. Right. Well, um, unless unless they can affect something political, like the message gets out to some. Okay. So so thirty five percent carbon footprint has to do with food in the in the United States in the yes. U, in the U K. In this movie, they said about a third. Yeah. In the U K. is also due right to food, yeah. um, and they were they were pretty clear about explaining it's not just the food but it's how it gets there it's all these things you know and they were talking about the carbon footprint and everything you buy um and and they showed dramatic pictures of mining to get the metal and um you know and then fabricating the metal with all these sparks and you know what was really cool is when they went up to those places where uh, methane has been, um, or some of them were calling it methane. Methane, I know. Methane I was was locked in the ice yeah. for like thousands of years. <laughs> and then uh, they were going up and poking holes in the ice and then putting fire to it. And it'd go, boom, big gob of flame. Right. As it would escape so, the ice. So flammable. Uh, yeah, and they said that the methane locked in the permafrost ha- would has 20 times more impact than CO2 the methane does Um, but anyway and there's methane from lots of places not just cows they didn't go into that in this movie but anyway so so okay solutions we finally got that little slice there's four things okay thing number one renewable energy they were, you know, showing, um, gosh, these new windmill farms offshore in the UK. They were showing solar and wind and, and they even talked about nuclear and, um, they t- talked about electric cars and electric airplanes and, and just getting renewable, clean energy that doesn't produce CO2, uh, supposedly, you know, in the, in the end, product. I mean, of course, creating it. There's a lot of uh, fossil fuels that go into creating some of these devices. So for 99% of the population, well, maybe let's just say 90% of the population, that is thoroughly political. I mean, there's yeah. there's nothing. The only thing that you can do is to say solar power really loud and over and over and right. Wave a sign. When I was outside of Seattle, I, you know, years, 
years ago, I could pay more on my electric bill to help them build more windmill farms and more renewable energy sources for our our power grid uh, in the more urban area. Um, here, uh, we which kind of ha- makes you wonder: Do they really do that, or is it just a scam? Mm, I don't know. Uh, out here uh, in in Montana, most of our utilities are cooperatives because utility companies wouldn't build in rural areas where it wasn't profitable for them. So uh, the people got together and formed cooperatives to bring power and um, fire, you know, um, internet and stuff like that to the rural areas. So I think the cooperatives might be a little more responsive but again it's a rural area it's not like the utility is very profitable out here it would be hard for them uh, I think to have the revenue to create more renewable energy so throughout the book we talk about ways that you can improve the quality of your life and have a more lovely day. Because, of course, sacrifice was mentioned a lot. And the bottom line is a lot of people just aren't going to sacrifice. But in the book, we're trying to, we, we try to list off ways that make your life more luxuriant and just happen to also use less power. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, in, the, in the single chapter that we have about electricity, um, well, wait, we've got a couple of different chapters about electricity, but in one where it's like basically, how, you know, how do you uh, switch to solar? And and personally, you know, and you're going to do it mm-hmm. personally. Right. Then we talk about how, oh, man, we really cover a lot of stuff. But but it's kind of like uh, when it comes to renewable energy on the grid, yeah, wind is the best by far. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like way out in front. But when it's coming to your own personal stuff, wind sucks. Wind <laughs> wind really bites. Huh. Um, but uh, and then solar is not the perfect child everybody makes it out to be. Solar's got some problems too. And then yeah. hydro, oh man, what an environmental disaster behind hydro. And so we go into that lot of the book, and I don't want to get into it right now. And a lot of people are probably right now yelling at their podcast saying, "Oh, Paul, you're so full of shit." But it's like, no, 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 no. We can go into this. We'll go yeah. into this. We'll cover it. I used to work for the Northwest Power Planning Council years ago. I mean, I want to go into that, too. But we, we're trying to keep this under 10 minutes. Right. The key is renewable energy, for most people, that's political. It's not something you're going to personally do unless... And it did seem to be like things that you can personally do. Write to politicians, carry signs, and yell at bad guys. And it's like... Well, uh, yeah, so the the first one... I agree with you, does seem more political. Renewable energy for the grid, and they did talk about hydro. I forgot about that. Hydro and um, solar and wind power is what they saw. And and the renewable energy, not just for the grid, but also for transportation. They wanted more electric for different types of transportation. So they mentioned all of that. And so a lot of that is political. You're right. Well, I think moving towards electrical transportation, like, you know, a Tesla, et cetera, uh, I I think that is a great move. I mean, granted, the grid is still dirty. Yeah. And it's like, so it's not a perfect solution, but there's room for optimization for the grid. Yeah. And and it's like there's ways to make the grid better while at the same time it, it is better. Like just the moment that you switch to an electric car, your annual carbon footprint is cut in half. I mean, not your annual, your 
annual carbon footprint for your car is cut in half. Uh, the the uh, footprint, your, your footprint is 30 tons, if you're an American, is 30 tons per year. Switching from a, a, a gasoline car to an electric car uh, saves you two tons per year. Now, that switching from electric heat to a rocket mass heater saves, I believe it's 29 tons per year. And, and so it's like, for people that are on electric heat, their carbon footprint is bigger than people that are using natural gas heat, which is bigger than people that are using wood heat. As bizarre as it sounds, because wood is almost, it's just carbon, like almost pound for pound turns into carbon dioxide. But it's like, you're still using less. All right. The key yeah. is, is that, um, energy, renewable energy, that's m- the thing that they were talking about was mostly political. I mean, it, it's like that's a that is a small thing. It's only a, a small handful of people are able to to switch or even willing to switch. And in the book, the big thing that I do is I talk about Helen Atow's setup in Stevensville, and so I think that um, uh, that is an admirable goal. It's a thing to know about. When you know about it, suddenly the leap becomes ten times easier. Right, right. Yep. So that was one, renewable energy. The second one, which they didn't spend a lot of time on, but this is where they did all the... 30 seconds. They did all of the scary pictures of, okay, when you mine things, you create this big, ugly pit mine with explosions, and then you have to fabricate the metal, and it's got all these sparky things, and you know all this fossil fuels being burned. So what they were trying to say is buy things that last or fix them. And the one example they used was a washing machine, which, it, you know, in some ways isn't is a good example, poor example. I mean, you know, how often do people buy washing machines? There's so they did talk about smartphones. They talked about we're just in such a consumer culture and we're used to just buying these things and replacing them and replacing them. But um, they were advocating buying things at last or fixing what you have. So a lot of that is a rigged playing field because yes. of uh, the planned obsolescence stuff. Yes. And it does seem like it would be great if our government would be involved in helping to resolve planned obsolescence issues. Right. But that's really not their thing. Um and so the next thing is, is like, okay, if I'm going to travel this path, what can I do? So that way I'm like, so for example, the washing machine was the example that they used. So A, we're getting some planned obsolescence in washing machines now. They used yeah. to last 30, 40 years. Right. And, but, um, and then the repair, a lot of times the, the, the guy that does the repair charges so much, it works out to oftentimes be cheaper to just buy a new one. Right. And so, um, but the other thing, uh, here's another angle. How do you get to the point that you don't need to do laundry as much? Can you extend the life of your washing machine? And first of all, we, I mean, our dryer gets used probably one percent of the time. Um, right, we, and you're well. 
Yeah. And it makes your clothes last 10 times longer if you don't use a clothes dryer. Well, and that's the big thing I was thinking about is um, what is the largest consumable factor? I mean, what is creating... Uh, what are we spending most of our money on? What is the largest carbon footprint of the things we buy? There's a huge slow cloth or slow clothing movement um, uh, about, I mean, we have so many just cheap, I mean, there's there's so many political issues and, and, and social issues and, and economic issues and everything around the clothing we wear and that we buy and that gets shipped to us. And, um, uh, yeah, making clothing last longer is is a huge thing about that. So I kind of wonder, do, you, do we have more of a carbon footprint with our clothing choices on average than we do with our washing machine choices? And uh, extending the life of our clothes um, by line drying and not using a dryer, you know, saves money, extends the life of the clothes, saves money on clothes. You know, I mean, there's just so many layers of so many different aspects of buying things that last. You know, I used to get two days out of a pair of overalls before they started smelling funky. And um, and then I switched to going poolless. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I can get like several weeks. I, I kind of wonder if this is another benefit of going poolless that we've never really con- considered adding into that pile. Yeah. But so right. so many layers of things. But it was they spent so little time on that. I kind of feel like buying things that will last longer or getting your existing things to last longer. I kind of feel like there's still a lot of political tied up in that. True. Yeah. And so it's not a slam dunk solution. I do think that um so for example, I I can't remember man, I should go look at I should go look at my own book. Did we talk about cast iron skillets? I think we did. I think there's a good mention in there. And so a cast iron skillet will last hundreds of years whereas those Teflon things if you cook very much, they might last only 3 to 6 months. Yeah. And so, not to mention how toxic they are and things of right. that nature. Right. So then that's an example of something where you can buy it for life. That's a great example. Yeah. And yeah. so there are a few things out there. Yeah. Um, so renewable energy, buy things at last. Now, the third thing, because food is it's such a huge percentage of the carbon footprint, um, they said... If you change three food habits, that this is what they focused on for this movie, changing three food habits. I'll list them off and then we'll talk about them, I'm sure. (laughs) Eat what you buy. Don't buy air freighted food and reduce your beef and lamb consumption. So the eat what you buy, I think, is brilliant. I think there's been a lot of people doing a lot about food waste and how much food our modern Western societies waste. I mean, we just, we don't eat leftovers. We let food spoil in the fridge. We, you know, on and on and on and on. Lots and lots of food waste. I think that that issue is like 90% mitigated if you have chickens. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Well, you what, know, 
was it Joel Salatin who said he thought every restaurant, because there's so much food waste at restaurants, oh, yeah. that every restaurant should have like its own pigs and chickens in the back that they just yeah. feed all that food waste to. I mean, that to me is is brilliant. And and here I all of our food waste right now goes back in the soil. We yeah. uh, we um, compost it directly in the soil. Um, Do that root stout thing. Yeah. Um, we do plant, we have had, uh, pigs and chickens here in the past. We do plan on at least having chickens here in the future. Mm-hmm. So, um, they'll, they'll pass through, a lot of the food scraps will pass through an animal before it becomes a different kind of fertilizer for the ground. But, um, I think that's a good one. That's a slam dunk for most permies, I think. Now, the air freighted food thing, uh, it, they said because uh, airplanes are are so inefficient and produce so much CO2, um, don't buy food that is shipped by airplanes. And I was thinking, how would you know? I, you know, is the pineapple air air freighted or does it go by cargo ship? You know, when you're standing there at the store in a non-tropical area, you know that pineapple or those bananas have been shipped in, but cargo ship, which is efficient, or airplane? I don't know. I I, I mean, I. the bottom line is, out of all of this, is I is growing a garden. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're not going to grow a garden, can you walk someplace where they are growing a garden? And, of course, it has to be organic. No, don't be using petroleum, you know, there. Right. Um, so hopefully something where they are uh, sequestering carbon as part right. of their gardening efforts. Right. Then, and, the, and it's like uh, um, that's going to be far superior. Like, make that your primary staple yeah. rather than buying food, which can come from who knows where. Right. And then a lot of the stuff that you buy, it's like, oh, something was shipped 3,000 miles or flown 3,000 miles to the factory, which then did something, which sent it to another factory, which did something, which then sent it to you. Right. And so it's kind of like... Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I um, I I kind of feel like okay, fair, but um, that is like not a real easy choice to make. And on top of all of that, I also believe that it's a flavor of sacrifice. And so um, I I kind of feel like uh, you want to eat what you want to eat. I, can is it possible that what you grow like oftentimes it's like oh look we grew these strawberries oh wow these taste ten times better than anything I've ever bought from the store right and it's like that is luxury right um, as opposed to like okay I know you like pizza and all but I'm gonna drop the bomb on you here. A lot of that was flown in, and so you got to <laughs> sacrifice your pizza, okay? <laughs> and it's like, no, no that's, that's sacrifice. Yeah. And so, on the other hand, it's like, can you get to the point where, and it's like, a lot of people are probably listening to this thing like, that sounds like too much work. That sounds like, and it's like, I, I wish to solve the problems of community so that you might have enough people in a house so that some people are bonkers about cooking, some people are bonkers about growing food, and then you've got a full package scenario under one roof. Right. 
Right. And hopefully without all the stabby, stabby stuff. Right, right. And so I'm trying, this well, is the thing I'm trying to come up with. And I agree with you. Those fresh-picked, tender, soft strawberries that are just so juicy, and they're not like the store-bought ones that are like styrofoam. You know, they're, they're just the tender, juicy strawberry. That could be far better than any pineapple that was shipped in. So, and of course, we're talking more about our climate. I wonder but, how many people love pizza, or they love the cheese on the pizza, or whatever, but they can't eat pizza anymore because they're allergic to some part of it. Yeah. But what if all of this was produced on your own land, and it turned out that the stuff that was produced on your land, the stuff that you harvested yourself and cooked yourself, I wonder if it turns out to be that you're not allergic to that. Right. Right. Well, and, and that also plays into the third food habit they wanted people to change and that was reduce beef and lamb consumption and I think lamb must be much more popular in the UK than it is in the United States but right. um, so uh, it's interesting <laughs> uh, because there are the different anyway people who want more grass-fed beef and lamb and and the grass-fed beef and lamb folks can't keep up with demand because there's there's still it's 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 something like 98% or it's still somewhere between 80 and 98% of our meat in the United States is is still CAFO like just really horrible you know uh, most all the meat that you can buy easily or affordably is is the kind that you do want to avoid. And they didn't they didn't even touch on the space of like paddock shift systems. Right. No. The, it's it's like the the only example that they had was CAFO systems, and it's kind of like I would have to say that um, if if you I mean it is a food choice that you could make. And that it would be to get something that's going to be a, a pastured, truly pastured. I thought they made a passing comment about, well, there are some small farm systems that are better, but most meat is is not. So, um, and of course they showed an example of a CAFO yard with cows just crammed into a barn. Okay, so number one was renew energy. Number two was buy things that last. Number three is food habits. And number four... <laughs> Political protest, and and they had Greta Thun is it Thunberg Thun Thunberg, mm-hmm. um they had Greta and she is amazing and quite articulate and and all that, uh, as their poster child, <laughs> literally for protesting about climate change and taking action. And yet, you know, in the protests, they're not requesting a specific action. Do you, you know, they're just saying yeah. this climate is bad. You guys, you guys have fucked it all up. You suck. Yeah, climate change is happening. Fix it. And they're they're not protesting about Okay, get rid of CAFOs or, um, you know, let's reduce air, air freighted food or let's get more wind power. You know, they, they, they weren't protesting with a solution. They were just protesting. So that's a little. Okay. In Montana, switching from electric heat to a rocket mass heater, 29 tons per year. 
and and all of the things that they suggested there. I mean, 29 tons per year, that's what you can do yourself. That's just you. Yeah. And and I'm not sure how much easier we can make it. And in fact, I mean, and, and this is, I and I think I mentioned this in the podcast before, I think that, that rocket mass heaters might have caught on more if I'd have said you, they use half the wood. But it, instead of saying it, they use one-tenth the wood. But the bizarre thing is, is that uh, we are currently just, we're, we're loaded with ideas on how to get that to be one-twentieth of the wood. Right. And so, and it's kind of like, and then on top of that, we're trying to finish up uh, uh, our first Wafati, Alderton Abbey, so we can do the annualized thermal inertia test. Can we have a home in Montana that requires zero heat. Right. It just uses the heat from the summer to heat it through the winter. Right. And it's like, I got all... <sighs> I mean, we watch the stuff that they're doing, and it's like, okay, let's go out and measure the, the water temperature of the ocean. That looked like, boy, they must have paid millions to do that. There's amazing science and research and innovation and all these things. Oh, and the people that were taking... Scrubbing the carbon, the CO2, out of the air and injecting it 1,800 feet down into the basalt, uh, the 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 uh, what do you call that? The bedrock. They were they were injecting carbon into bedrock and then drilling down to pull up that bedrock to see what it does. I mean, this is crazy amounts of money and research and experimentation. I just, I just feel like, okay, now I have made the choice to not go after grant money, but at the same time, I would be totally open to somebody just giving us millions of dollars. But it's like, all right, in order to pull all this stuff off, I've, I've got to work my ass off and push this Kickstarter and, and all, you know, all my previous things that I've made to try and come up with enough money to move things forward. And we've got a lot of things going to move forward, but man, it is it is hard. <laughs> and and it's like, but and granted, these other people they're also working on it. And and I kind of feel like you know what, some of these organizations where they go out to like Africa or a bunch of different places and they just plant millions of trees. All right, you got me there. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, that one's a, that one's a slam dunk win. My stuff Willie, is all Willie about. Willie Smith has planted millions of trees. Sure, yeah, yes, yeah. he has. All of my stuff is experimental, and and while we've proven a lot of these experiments have worked, it's it's like it's it is a huge. And plus, I kind of feel like I still need to solve. I got to get a lot of to move forward because the next thing, the next phase that comes is the community problems. How do we come up with long-term solutions that can be rubber-stamped onto other communities? And then I think that the, you know that's an enormous solution right there. But we've got so many different things that we're trying to experiment with. Anyway, I, I just kind of I see a lot of the stuff that they're doing, and I kind of think don't waste your money on those but all right it's hard it's it's hard hard to watch and i think we went over 10 10 minutes we did we did um but you know at the at the same time uh uh i'm i'm glad that they got a movie like that i just kind of feel like oh this is so weak that was i thought that was so weak i thought it was great it was beautiful and picturesque yeah. And they talk about, but then it's like when they got to solving the problems, what what you, what can you do? Basically, 
protest. Yeah, and that that doesn't be yeah. angry it at didn't bad seem guys. very tangible. Very so, political. Yeah. So I thought the movie, the little part I saw, I didn't see the whole first half, but the part I saw with that scientist who is, what is he, like a global image scientist? Like he did, he does all the imaging from space. Yeah. And they had, they showed the maps of how much deforestation is happening around the world. And he, um, he, he didn't it's like know. A disease. What, he didn't know that much deforestation was happening, um, and that was sobering and scary. Yeah. Uh, though I think we all know all the sobering and scary stuff, and it's. They it's, did give a shout out for how one of the worst things, one of the, one of the scariest things, was the palm oil. Yes. Yeah. That's causing more deforestation than anything else was the palm oil. Which yeah. they didn't tie into food stuff like, well, the vegans are causing problems too. You guys got to no, look they, for that palm oil. They did tie it into food stuff. They said everybody has it in their cupboards in their house. And, and you we, said, we don't. We don't. <laughs> Asshole. I, I, it's hot. Okay. It's hard to find organic crackers that don't have palm oil. Even mm. when they're organic. Anyway, weird. You make your own crackers. Yeah, or we just mostly don't eat crackers. But yes, so crazy, difficult, scary, icky stuff. And and I, they they had David Attenborough standing in a picturesque UK farm of some kind, just gorgeous green fields with dotted trees and hedgerows in the distance and and I, it was just so picturesque and lovely i was thinking okay you're showing all this deforestation and destruction and then you're showing him in a picturesque field where it's like nothing's wrong with the world <laughs> uh, and and i thought this is really sending a weird message in my brain i don't know about anybody else's because you're kind of saying look it's beautiful here, and yet we're going to die. <laughs> it felt like mixed messages. But yes, it was a lovely done film in a lot of ways. It was a lot more scare, scare, ick, this is all going to hell. Um, but with and and a little too light on solutions. I agree. Way, Way too, too light. light. Way too light on. I mean, I kind of feel like there was so much we edited out of the book to get it to fit into 200 pages i mean like there's i, I mean of the stuff that we edited out of the book or that we left out of the book all that stuff is a hundred times better than what they advocated in the movie yeah i, I mean I, I kind of feel like what we saw i mean it's like they didn't even try and I don't know. This is the problem I'm having with all these movies. And I just, I kind of think that the book that I'm writing is, I believe it's just so fucking profound. And so I guess I got to end this podcast so I can get back to trying to connect it to people. And it's like, that was another thing too, is is that uh, uh, I uh, somebody directed me to uh, this thing on Reddit. That's how I found out about it. And then one of the people said, well, what can I do at home to make a difference? <laughs> and the responses were asinine. Yeah. They were stupid. Yeah. They were it's and it's like ugh. and um uh oh 
yeah, all right, I've got I've got 47 other things that I want to go on about and get started about, but I'm going to drop it. Yeah. We tried for 10 minutes, and I what, I can't even read what the thing says. All right. And yeah, but your book is coming out. It's at the editor. It's at the editor now. And yes. and the Kickstarter ha- passed fifty thousand yesterday, Yay. last night, which is cool. And by the time people hear this, it'll probably be even better. But we're in the midst of it. It's just a third of the way into the Kickstarter period when we're making this. Um, so, you know, it, it it makes me want to send your book to Greta Thun. Uh. Thunberg. Thunberg? Thunberg? That'd be cool. Um, we've gone to a lot of environmental organizations to try and see if they could help us. We've offered them a copy of the uh, transcript. Um, and we are, and like 99% of the doors are getting slammed in our faces. Wow. And it's because these organizations are not about doing anything other than fundraising. So then we try to point out our, that we'll offer them a kickback program, we'll give them some free publicity on permies, we'll do all kinds of things. Crickets. Crickets. Nothing. That's so weird. And um, uh, one one organization asked us if the uh, book would be printed on recycled paper. And, um, and so we said um, uh, yeah, 100% post-consumer waste. Now, the next thing that happened was probably my error. I then wrote a few paragraphs about how that's actually not a pure good. And that, um, you know, the forest fire industry and the fuels are being burned still, whereas that wood would have been used for paper. Plus, when you use post-consumer fiber, they tend to use a lot more glue, and the glues contain toxins. And so you end up with a product that could that's actually more toxic than if you used um, just straight wood from trees. But even more than that, I think a greater, a better thing to ask is going to be like, how did they make the paper? Did they? they, they there is a process to make paper where they don't use any glue whatsoever. The the lignans in the wood will make enough of a gluey material, but it's a mechanical process. They have to the, to kind of mash the wood longer right. as opposed to the chemical process that makes it go much faster and cheaper, but those are toxic chemicals. And so I would love to be able to do that. I would even love to do uh, some stuff like what Paul Samets did with some cardboard, which is to embed seeds into the the book. So you could say, okay, embedded in this book are five seeds. So if you ever just get tired of this book, you can just throw it underground. And and there was no glues used in the making Wouldn't that of this book. be nice? But, all right. And I, so what I did say was, like, we're putting a heavy emphasis on e-books. And so um, uh, three to one for e-books. Right. And, and it's kind of... But anyway... Suddenly they went silent, <laughs> you know, and, and I just kind of feel like, uh, oh man, I I should just shut up. Uh, but but we're over, just overshare <laughs> was a bit and, of an overshare, and, and we're still getting some people. Uh, this is amazing. Where there are people where they've asked for my help on their Kickstarters in the past, and during this Kickstarter, when I have already asked them to reciprocate. They're asking me for more help, and they have not reciprocated. And so it's it's like, um, are you serious? So um, it's it's been such an up. 
I'm worried that when the book is done, the only people who will buy it are are our own people, and everybody else will just ignore it. I'm worried that that's going to happen. I mean, I love the idea that this thing's going to get, you know, just take off and be the book of the year or something, you know. But um, uh, well, you never know. You, you got to try. Yeah. And that's where we're at. We're trying. We're going to yes. try. Yes. And um, we're ho- it's hard work, but we're hoping that something somewhere will trigger something and things will take off. I don't know what, but we're trying to try a dozen new things a day. Yeah, you and Sean are still... <laughs> that's what boggles my mind. Is A lot of people just think if they put out a Kickstarter, people will come. Kind of like if they build it, people will come. Like, oh, I have such a good idea. And because the idea is such a good idea and it's what the world needs, it'll get funded. And we've seen a lot of Kickstarters like that where yeah. people did not have a following. They had not already um, developed, um, uh, uh, you know, a following is a, I'm trying to find a different way to say following, but, you know, develop a list, a large email list or develop content and, and online content that people already like. You know, there's they think, well, I can just start out with a Kickstarter and they've <laughs> not put anything else out that people are interested in and then their Kickstarter flops and fails. And 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 what I think a lot of people have this concept, oh, I can get money from a Kickstarter. Uh, and then they see your repeat, repeat success with your Kickstarters and they don't realize that you and and currently for this book you and Sean work at it every day there's there's hours of stuff you're doing every day to make this kickstarter what it is and make the book the quality that it is there's still lots and lots and lots to do. It's not a slam dunk and it's not over. And there's still lots of effort that goes into attempting to develop the relationships with other people who might have Kickstarters or other people who might have email lists or other people who might have YouTube followers and those kind of things. There's a lot of work in... Um, kind of developing these give-and-take relationships. Earth Day will be celebrated tomorrow. Yes, although it's technically on Monday, I think. Sure. Yeah, something. Earth Day will be celebrated tomorrow. And the uh, number of requests I have had for me to come and present or to take the Kickstarter and wave it around in people's faces for Earth Day or any of that kind of stuff, zero. I've had I've had zero, um, uh, and I'm I'm not sure if I ever complained on a podcast, but there was an Earth Day event in Missoula, uh, put on by the uh, Missoula Urban Demonstration Project, and we provided a demonstration of a rocket mass heater which we built in an hour and ten minutes, and they designed they they had us build it in a place where it was hidden, and they had a stage that um, glamorized the vendors. But they never mentioned our demonstration for the Missoula Urban Demonstration Project. The, the, we were the only demonstration there. And you mentioned that in a podcast. I, I don't know, but I'm still pretty pissed off about it. And that I was, know. what, nine years ago? Yeah. You know, and um, so I'm, I'm still pretty upset about it. 
um, I I kind of feel like um, what do people want really? I guess they want to be angry at bad guys. I mean, we just saw that in that movie. Okay, everybody go be angry, and that was kind of the whole thing. Well, it's. <sighs> We are living in the age of too much information and too many choices and too much to do. Um, and I think whether people read your book or not, the idea that you will be a published author, you know, with a book after this is going to have some benefits to your reputation and our reputation here at Wheaton Labs. I think it's, I mean, people, even, <laughs> even those authors out there, and this is not you, I'm not talking about you, <laughs> even those authors out there who somehow got a book published and maybe sold a dozen copies and it's a really crappy book or whatever, but still, they can call themselves a published author and that gives them credibility in people's mind um you know kind of like uh, you know whether it's warranted or not and i think in your case it very much is warranted i'm not saying that it's not warranted i i just think that this is going to be a bit of a shift in your reputation that you were an author of an actual book. I mean, you've been an author for years of all the things you put out online. Right. There's tons of stuff I put out there. But, yeah, to be an author of a book is a, is a big step. We'll see if it makes a difference. I'm I, I'm hopeful. And we're trying. We're going to try. All right. I think we can wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about making things better homesteading and permaculture all, all the, the time. time don't forget go out to patreon.com slash paul wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts